0: Okie dokie, everybody. Welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast for this week. Oh my goodness, you are in for a treat. Nathan was such a great guest. I can't wait to have him back at some point in the future. He has to be a returning guest. You guys are going to love it. But before we get to him, I just want to say thank you once again for the devoted listeners and to those who are new to the show. I am forever grateful for your support and your feedback. The reviews, Everything that you guys have done, the emails, which is WSNSPodcast at gmail.com, mind you, just couldn't be done. It couldn't be possible without your support and your prayers. And I just ask that they continue because sometimes it's difficult to discuss some of these topics. And that leads us to tonight. Nathan Betts, one of my board members at my church and a very good friend. We discuss a lot of things and you might be tempted to squirm you might be made uncomfortable, but I think that's a good thing in this particular context. I opened up the floor to him to discuss some things that, that he's experienced in his life. Again, he is telling his story. We cannot invalidate his story. You may be tempted to disagree. You may be tempted to throw some mud. You may criticize me, and that's okay. Because once again, this is a journey collectively. I don't think one person has the entire, uh, or I guess all the pieces to the puzzle. But tonight you're going to hear the heart of a man who has experienced some adversity, a lot of trials and temptations, and ultimately through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, perseverance. And you might disagree with where he comes down socially. I'm just asking you as a mature audience to hear his heart, hear where he is coming from as an individual, as a human being. And I think together we will get a greater glimpse of the kingdom. So without Further ado, here is Nathan Betts. I will just say it's good to see you again. Yes. Uh, I uh, I'll say that for those who will be hearing this for the first time. I feel bad for him because this is just an extension of the conversation that we had a few months ago when you bought me dinner, so it was my turn to return the favor to you. Uh, so thank you so much, Nathan, that's for being here tonight. Um, I uh, this is going to be interesting for a lot of people uh, to listen to, and I think that this will be edifying either way, and uh, your willingness is certainly a part in that. But I hope that you are prepared to possibly deal with some some flack maybe for actually coming here and being here. So just part of the game, uh, at least kind of the, the same type of theme we've been trying to to keep at our church. So um, I would just like you, if you could, just to introduce yourself, um, just tell people who you are and like what you do, where you've grown up, just kind of like some of the childhood facts, if you could. Sure.
1: Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm 40 years old. I grew up in the Hillsdale County area. Uh, after high school, I did the whole Michigan University—not U of M—but I did a Eastern Michigan University stint for a little bit, and then after that, I went down to Florida, finished up my first degree, and stayed down there and worked in audiovisual, in uh, theater jobs and things like that, mostly corporate work. And then I hightailed it back up here in two thousand nine to buy my grandfather's farm and. At that point, I really didn't care what I did. It was just uh, the focus was whatever I do is to pay for the farm. So, mm-hmm. and as far as like what I do, uh, I was doing a little bit of AV when I moved back up here, but not in the capacity that I was doing in Florida. So mm-hmm. I had to uh, change it up a little bit, and I got involved in classroom technology. Sure. Um, and then that, that kind of fizzled and burnt me out because the education system was not really. Where I wanted to be, mm-hmm. it's very very challenging atmosphere to be in. If you're not wanting to be in that, it could be very uh, daunting, yeah. I guess you could say. So I left that, and now I'm back into banking, which I did a a little bit of banking back in college days as a college program. So, okay, that's where we're
0: at. And uh, so you you work you don't work in the same place. You, you have two jobs. You're a farmer by by trade in a way. So that's your kind of your batman job your bruce wayne job is your uh you work at uh you work at a bank so how do you balance that,
1: that um life? actually it's uh clark kent is okay. my banking job <laughs> okay. um i don't have uh what is bruce wayne i don't have his money right. <laughs> um so i'm a banker by day and i wouldn't call farming a job of mine okay it's more of just uh
0: i enjoy doing it all right and what what uh does your passion for farming, where did that even where did that come from? Was it just because you grew up with your grandfather?
1: So my grandfather was slowly was getting out of farming as I was growing up. So I remember being on his tractor while he was farming, but when I got to the age where I could actually start working with him, he was already getting out of it. So I guess you could say when I was younger and not on the tractor, I would see him out plowing the fields or tending to the fields. And then I would be inside with my die-cast metal tractors mm. and my all my implements with them. And my grandmother had one of those rag rugs that just kind of like pinwheel around itself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would use those as my furrows, as my endrows and everything. A, and I w- so yeah. when Grandpa was out farming real life, I was inside with my toys farming the rugs in <laughs> Grandma's house.
0: <laughs> but I, I absolutely can relate to that because my dad when he built our house I was in elementary school and he's the one who taught me how to plow of course I didn't do it very well Of course half the time I didn't put the plow down when I did it uh, but I was you know I was just out there driving around wasting diesel fuel but uh, I had similar similar things except for I was able to play more in the dirt because we didn't have a house yet so mm-hmm. <laughs> what was a like an eight-year-old gonna do when you had to just sit there and play in the dirt but you had like those those little like one one sixty four scale combine mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally I can relate to that totally. Mm-hmm. Um so one of the things that is interesting about your life is that you have you have these different areas where like this is you. And one of the things that ultimately gets brought up is that, you know, what we do, does it define who we are? And I think that's kind of the the question of this entire podcast is what we in philosophy call ontology which means the study of being. So we're going to talk about this ontology, the rest of this podcast, at least that's what it's centralized around, but because of the this the theme of this podcast with when it comes to we shall not sleep the church, which you've actually a lot of the stuff that we've talked about already, you've already heard because I've tried to preach on them. But when it comes to the church, when when you go back to those days of, of growing up were you involved with the church like what is your uh, journey to Christ like what is what is that
1: so you? my family always did the whole uh um, the holiday church going you know the Christmas Eve mass and sure. you know yeah. the Easter and things like that um aside from that we did an occasional Sunday service but my parents weren't my father is now but growing up we weren't avid church goers um mm-hmm. I myself was going more than my parents, but I was going to, you know, the youth group things and um, the Sunday school things with, when I was younger. So that's kind of where I was involved in the church. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't um, until I was an adult that I felt, you know, the need to go for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't somebody asking me to go. It wasn't somebody pressuring me to go. Um, and that was the attitude that my parents wanted for us, is my brother and I, is if we wanted to go, it would be a relationship that we would cultivate ourselves with the church or mm-hmm. with God. Um, they didn't want to be, they didn't want to feel like they were pressuring their kids to do something that they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. They had to want it for themselves.
0: Just like a lot of things. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And so that journey like start after high school, you say as an adult, does that come back after college when you move back up here? So no, it was actually 2001
1: that I started to go to church again. Okay. Um, I remember doing a 30-hour famine with my youth group back in high school, but that was the last thing that I remember doing with Mm -hmm. them. And then I went into college. College life presented some opportunities, shall we say, to be <laughs> um, like for many people. How do I want to say it? It gave opportunities to be like just exploratory, um, explore pioneer, um, bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bad. My, I mean, yeah. Other people might explore or different things, but for me, my my explorations were not good. I was bad. I mean, I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. You know, going to raves, a uh, couple raves over the weekend, and taking drugs, and mm-hmm. you know, it was. I was just going down the wrong road, mm-hmm. and I needed to nip that right away and get that taken care of. And so when I moved back to home from Eastern Michigan, was it was in 2001. I just called my mom and I said it was in the middle of the night.
0: Right. Yeah, I remember that. You tell me that.
1: Yeah, I said, just come get me. Don't, don't ask questions. We can talk later, mm-hmm. but don't ask questions. Let's just do this. Um, bring your truck. Let's clear out my apartment. I'm coming home.
0: And so that was before college ended, right?
1: yeah that was my sophomore after my sophomore year in college and okay. then I took a year off and then I finished my degree in Florida. You're right okay so, so during that time yeah. in 2001 is when I started rekindling my relationship so
0: as like a sophomore then. yeah okay so yeah. that was one of the things I asked you about over dinner was was one of the things of people can can be led you know be led right up to the water. they just obviously can't be forced to drink uh, Some people, they come to this edge of destruction, this, this moment in their life, that, that proverbial come-to-Jesus moment. But some people still don't have like, the awareness to take a step back, look themselves in the mirror, if you will, and say, the path I am on is not good. And maybe there's people that come to that, but they never make that secondary choice. How did you go from, I shouldn't be doing this, I need to take action to get myself away, because I think there's so many people that stop there. They're like, yeah, I know this is not bad, but I, either I don't know how to do it better or I'm afraid. And so they never take that second step. They never call their mom. So how did you go from like, one recognition to then taking action? Like, How did that happen?
1: I remember the last, before I moved back home, there was a couple, because uh, Eastern wasn't far from home, just a couple hours. So I remember there were a few times that I'd be home for the weekend or whatnot, and both my mom and my dad would both say something along the lines of, are you sure you're okay? You're not Mm. yourself. Mm. Are you doing okay in school? You're not your old, you're not the Nathan that we know. Mm. And taking that back with me, you know, that's, that kind of sears in your mind when your parents tell you essentially that they're not recognizing the son that is before them that they raised. So that that was seared in my brain and I would go back to school and then I would go to this party or that party and get inebriated on something. And those that just keep, you know, recycling in my brain. And it it felt bad. Mm. It just it didn't feel right. And so I just, I started noticing myself inching towards depression. I wasn't happy. My grades were slipping. So, and having, you know, what my parents told me constantly ringing in my brain, I just felt like I don't know who I am. Mm. And the only place that I know to get back to where I, to who I am is home. That's the starting point. So that's what kind of made me go home.
0: And, and so in that, there, was, there had to have been like that final straw that pushed you over that. Do you remember that moment or what it was like when you're like, okay, now I'm done? Like there was that last straw that broke the camel's back, I guess? Um, it's always interesting because people have different thresholds. I was wondering if there was a specific moment.
1: There wasn't necessarily a specific one moment Mm -hmm. that kind of was a light switch. It was just a kind of a few different things. Um, We can be completely honest here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, So I remember one particular thing that struck me as odd was I remember wanting to buy a vial of acid just to sell it just to make some money on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember acquiring it, getting it, and then um, some, you know, I don't want to call them friends, but some people that were around me, you know, ended up buying some from me, and it didn't work. Mm. And then other people tried some, and it didn't work. So essentially what had happened is I got sold stuff that wasn't it was fake yeah it wasn't it wasn't real um but great i felt good that i wasn't you know after the fact that i wasn't you know drugging people but when it was happening all of a sudden now you have when you're in that when you're in that world Mm -hmm. and people are looking for their fix and you sold them junk it causes problems.
0: <laughs> I can imagine social re- capital is going to be pretty short. Yeah. So it's that.
1: like um, I had people that wanted to destroy me, you know, whatever, you know. That means. Right. So, you know, it, it just started to cause, um, you know, because I'm always one that you're going to edit all that, right? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll edit
0: that part out. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, you know, I was always, I knew this much about myself that I was always somebody that people enjoyed being around. Mm-hmm. People, lo- they would seek me out because they know that they would have a good time being around me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then all of a sudden, when I have people plotting and planning against me, it causes some, you know, reevaluations, you mm-hmm. know, and... I just remember knowing, coming, coming to the realization that what I had was fake. It wasn't good. Um, I got duped, basically. So whoever I bought it from duped me. Mm-hmm. So I dumped, I don't know how much it was, 500 bucks on this, and now I'm not gonna be able to get my money back. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, when people weren't getting their fix, and I realized that it was mm-hmm. fake, I remember just like squirting this, pretty much the whole mm-hmm. vial on my tongue. And all of my friends were like, you know, trying to stop me and I'm like, it's fake. But then when I look back at it, at the time when I looked back at it, I'm like, that was really stupid. <laughs> yeah. That was really stupid because what if it wasn't fake mm-hmm. and these people just didn't take it right or, yeah. you Their know, whatever tolerance the case was. was so high. Exactly. Yeah. What if, and then if it was real what would have happened? I wouldn't be sitting here. Right. Um, so that was kind of like one of those moments in the, in the moment when it was happening that I was just kind of like, this is not me. I got to get myself out of this situation. Um, I just need to rip it off like a bandaid and get out.
0: Sure. And, and looking back, imagine to see the Holy Spirit working through your parents and just never letting you go. Like there was that, that constant like tug back to something what could be, which eventually, you know, leads you back. And then you, you go and you finish your degree down in Florida. Uh, I, when you first told me that story for the first time, I was just, I was amazed because of just the, the sheer, sheer conviction that you had and the way, the way that you, the way that you go from, this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm going to, I'm going to call my mom. The way that you would describe that, at least for me, it was so impactful because it's just that I, you see so many people just on the brink. They're on the precipice of just making that decision, and they just never do. And it was just for you, it was like, I have to do this. And I and knowing what the rest of your story was, I'm like, that's nothing short of the Holy Spirit, in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, considering how many people don't get out of that scene or they end up dying in that scene. And mm-hmm. then it's a, maybe it's a multi-generational cycle that mm-hmm. you can't break with, with that because I mean, we see that around.
1: Oh, yeah. I have it in my family. Mm-hmm. My aunt... Um, I don't know where she's at now. Hmm. I don't know what her situation is, but her children, my cousins, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they're doing. Um, I do have some of my cousins' children, uh, friends of mine on Facebook, but um, I just saw a video of one of of one of one them, and it's not looking pretty. So the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. Um, and it's just this... This sinister kind of thing that has just been seeded in—I don't want to say in their lineage, but in their family—that it's just—it's not corrected, it's not taken care of, and it's—it's it's gone filtered down through three generations now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it could be a fourth. I
0: mean, these people are old enough to have their own children now. So, yeah, it, and to see that you came out of that and got got out of that thing is, I think, incredibly important, but it also makes you, like, you can empathize with, with people that are in that. It doesn't, you're not an alien to it. I mean, it's, that's a, it's a completely foreign environment to me, but how God can use your testimony to help others, and, and and the thing is, you never played the victim in any of this. Like, you, when we first talked, you were adamant that you're like, these were my own decisions, and, uh, and you took responsibility for your actions, and you were able to remove yourself from that. Just and that was something that I'm glad that at least we talked about here briefly because uh, that for, for whatever that is that somebody's struggling with, it's that it's that moment where they've they've hit rock bottom. What, what advice maybe do you have for people who it's not necessarily, you know, drugs or alcohol or abuse or anything, but maybe it's a, a different form. What advice do you have to people who are who are at rock bottom right now or who are just struggling to take that proverbial call their mom and help rescue me? So,
1: it, it, first of all, it didn't start out with me calling mom and say, come get me. It started out with a conversation with my aunt. Um, and it's because I could, didn't feel like I could talk to my mom mm. about what was going on. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's and I important. was closer with my aunt when it came to, I could talk to my aunt about relationship problems. I didn't really have that with my mom at the time. So, things like that. So, I confided in her And I was a distraught mess with her over the phone. And she just simply said, you know what you have to do. Hmm. And that's what made me call my mom. But I guess the advice that I have for anybody that might be listening is the epiphany that I had for myself was whenever I'm in control, whenever I me needs needs to be in control of my like everything that I'm doing I'm failing miserably does that make sense absolutely so when I'm in control the, I, there's no no wonder that I'm at rock bottom mm-hmm. I'm trying to be in control of everything ain't going to work so when I started to let go of control that's when things started
0: to turn around mm-hmm. And that connects directly to, to back back to the church and Correct. relinquishing that. Like that's. We we try and why is it that we try to control things all the time? Is it because that's what we we are reliable and like we are a good source? We we can trust ourselves. Is is that why we try to, like hold on fast to what we can do? I, I don't know. Yeah. I
1: don't know, Michael. I just. I don't know. I don't know what it is, why people feel like they need to be in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there is, for me, there is just this level of peace knowing that I don't have to be in control of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. I can just let it play out the way it's supposed to play out, and I'm going to do my best to manage the outcome, whether that's good or bad. Um, yeah, I, I cannot answer the question as to why people feel like they need to be in control. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. Um,
0: but I, yeah, I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, once we find that out, we can have another podcast right, about it. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably a, a particular well, common trait in all, a lot of these stories of being at rock bottom is that maybe you're trying to hold on to something so much or you're trying to control your circumstances, and and if someone were to ask you, well, how's that working for you? And I, I'm sure you know in that moment, if your aunt were to ask you that question, and just like you know what you need to do, you wouldn't have known the answer. And you know that that's part of part of anyone's life journey is is learning. I think that balance. Um, you said manage. That's that's such a that's such a great a great point. Like learning to manage what happens around you.
1: Well, and that can be said for like I said, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um for example, a great example, let's just use the lottery. Mm-hmm. Somebody wins the lottery, they win millions of, this guy that just won, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars that he won out of um, um, Michigan. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't manage that well, manage the outcome, um, it might be a really bad situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he and this is where it's a little bit different as well though he, and he is in control of that. And uh, in, in, in good ways and bad ways. I mean, exercising uh, discipline or having no restraint whatsoever. Uh, so when, when, you, when you deal with this, when you, when you get yourself out of this and you go to Florida, there was also something else that you were also wrestling with, trying to come to grips with. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you tonight was, was about that particular journey. For those who are maybe anticipating, maybe sitting, sitting back and have read the description of the podcast. Now we're 23 minutes in and we're finally getting maybe to what a lot of people have come for. Can you describe what that other personal battle was and what that was like for you?
1: Um, yeah, I was struggling with my sexuality. Um, moving down to Florida had had some other um, benefits mm-hmm. at the time. It was um, an opportunity for me to get out again, spread my wings again, and I almost kind of felt that I already knew that about me, leading, going to Florida, but Florida gave me a way to get on my own two feet, you know, and the time was going to come, I don't know when it was going to be, or how it was going to be done, but there would, would have been a time where I was going to come out to my friends and family. And I wanted to be sure that I was set up myself, prepared to take any kind of um, disowning from anybody that I came out to. So I wanted to make sure that I was nowhere to be hurt by people that wanted to disown me. Hmm. That's the, always the fear yeah. of... Coming out like that, it's like you just, I mean, you, you hear horror stories of families just
0: dumping their children. And, and you wanted to kind of mitigate any of that as best as you could. Yes, yes. And so or did you insulate yourself with other friends who, who you told before your family? Like what was that like when you moved down there, you're going to school, you have another job, but you're still struggling with this. So you're, you're formulating a plan how to do this. What were you doing with your social life down there?
1: Um, the <clears throat> the social life. I wasn't doing anything different than okay. I normally would. Um, I wasn't going to gay clubs because I was gay. Um, I wasn't even out yet. Um, I I was just normal, and that's you know going to that label thing. I was never really, in even being a gay man, I'm never really one that says Nathan Betts, gay man.
0: Oh <laughs> something I was going to ask you. It's about. just yeah.
1: always been something along with the other things. Nathan Betts, racquetball player. Nathan yeah. Betts, swimmer. You know, it's just Nathan Betts this, Nathan Betts that. Um, so my social life, for all intents and purposes, was no different than it was up here, aside from the partying right. and things that, like that. Right,
0: that was something that God took you out of. and Right. yeah. So,
1: so you're, you're consistently you. You're not... Consistently you're, me. Uh-huh. And I remember... I was hanging out with some friends, and these two girls that I um, befriended, um, they they had this kind of little bet going on between them that I didn't know about at the time, but they, they had this bet to see who, who could get me to go on a date with them. Oh, okay. Who can date me first. Okay. And I could kind of tell that there was something cooking between the two, and... They wanted to hang out more often, you know what I mean, things like that. And I just remember being in the car with both of them, and they started talking. They just came out and started talking about it, about who's going to take me out on a date first. And at that point, I was just like, you know what?
0: (laughs) Might as well cut all my losses.
1: Right. Now, I wasn't... I met them down there, so I wasn't terribly... I wasn't terribly close with them. So... I could care less if they didn't want to be involved with me ever again. There's not a lot of fallout. Right. Um, So technically, they were the first people that I came out to. Um, But it was my brother living halfway across the United States in Colorado that I came out to first. Okay. And then... How did that conversation go? It was great. I remember I was sitting in the Walmart parking lot. Yeah. And he called me one day. And I told him, I was like, I I have something I got to tell you. Um, he was more shocked by the idea of me wanting to tell him first than
0: what the subject was. Because, hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, for somebody whose brother loves you, I mean, that's a... Knowing this the climate, like, you're extending an incredible amount of trust to him. And my brother and I did not grow up close. Hmm. Really?
1: Oh, no. Oh, and so no.
0: what made you... Well what made you in that moment? I mean, he called you, but what why, what led you to that? Is it just you had to get it off your chest? Cause yeah. I think that's the thing I, I want to ask. is like, what, why, why is there such a big need to tell someone like it's like confessing something, but you're not confessing something if you.
1: It, it you got know. to the point with those two girls, and I ripped the band-Aid off. It got to a point where I'm just like, I'm, I'm tired of people treating me like they know me completely.
0: Okay, that makes complete sense. And
1: there was a part of me that was just like, enough is enough. Like, I need to. I'm, I'm tired of hiding mm-hmm. this, so I need to get it out.
0: And because there's assumptions made, right? Um, like, I'm, just, I'm assuming you, uh, much like myself. Like, hey, so are you seeing anyone? Or hey, why aren't, are you having any kids? Like, there's a lot of assumptions made culturally just to make conversation. Oh my gosh, that came up all the time. Yeah, all the time. And so, being like uh, to your point, not knowing all of you, so it's like in your in your mind, I can only imagine is well if they only knew, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to your brother, that like the dam had already burst as far as you that that you said rip the band aid off, so you you felt comfortable enough sharing that with him, and so his response was kind of like okay, not
1: yeah, um, it kind of bonded us a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. We're we're close now, but growing up we were not close. Um, yeah, it just kind of, um, he like I said, he was more shocked that I wanted to tell him first before anybody else. Mm-hmm. He could have sworn that I would have told my mom first. Yeah. Our mom. Um, but that didn't happen because I was extremely close to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was just, it, it was a turning point in my brother's and I's
0: relationship. What a, what a beautiful thing. And, and so you you wrap up that conversation and, and you're you're having the not say this confidence but you're, it I mean I can't I I can't relate I'm not even gonna pretend to uh, to relate I can't empathize with that but I can, have compassion, uh, with, with this idea of this this weight or just like hey, people, closest to me are now gonna know, who I fully am but then there's that, that challenge of. When do you tell your parents or when, how does, you know, fathers and sons, that relationship, how do you tell your dad? What's that reaction going to be like? I'm assuming like that burden's not completely gone just because you told your brother.
1: Right. There was about a month between telling my brother, Okay. then in between telling him and telling my parents. Um, I told my mom before I told my dad. But during that month, obviously I ripped the Band-Aid off, right? Okay. But during that month was just like you know, sweaty palm kind of thing. I know that I'm going to be telling them soon. I don't know how I'm going to tell them. Should I wait until they come down for graduation to lay it on them then? Or do I call them before? I don't know. So a month went by where I was trying to develop how I was going to tell them. And I remember, and I'm one to call home. I was talking to my mom like daily Um, I called my, my dad maybe weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was a point throughout that month that, because I was so focused on how am I going to do this? What am I going to, you know, and I was getting close to graduation anyway. So I was just super busy in my head and physically that I lost track of calling my folks. Oh, really? And so then out of the blue, my mom calls me and says, I haven't talked to you in a while. And so then I laid it on her then because she was pushy. (laughs) And then my dad ended up calling me like literally a day or two after. And I remember telling my brother and my mom, don't. Don't tell dad. Don't tell my, don't tell our parents, mom, don't tell dad. Let me talk to dad myself. And dad called me and I remember him saying, what's wrong? Are you okay? I haven't talked to you in a long time. Are you okay? How's your grades? Are you even going to be graduating? I know you're supposed to be graduating in a month. Are you doing okay? Like you haven't talked to me in over a month. So what's going on? And I, I remember telling him on the phone, dad, it's okay. My dad's kind of an anxious guy. And I remember telling him, it's okay. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I feel great. There's nothing wrong with my health. I'm getting A's. I'm flying or passing with flying colors. It's fine. We can just talk about this later. And he kept pushing wanting to know what's going on.
0: And, you know, you had no suspicion that your mom no. told him at all. He no, was because they're divorced. Gotcha. Okay, so it was, it was a genuine, like, checking in on you. Yeah, yeah. Because I can only imagine Yeah. You know, um, after that long, yeah, it's certainly for my parents would certainly go, Mr., what are you doing? So I can relate.
1: I remember just, you know, he kept insisting. And I was just like, all right, enough. This is it. And I told him, Dad... I'm gay. And then it was silent, <laughs> absolutely silent. And I remember like, hello. And he just, this is a lot to take in. He says, and and I'm like, okay. So we can talk later when you want. It doesn't have to be tonight. It can be tomorrow. It can be a month from now. I don't care. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bring it up again, unless you want to talk about it but i'm going to leave you with this the same kid that you taught how to play golf the same kid that you played catch with in baseball the same kid that you coached in baseball that's still me that's mm-hmm. still me what i'm telling you is not the the definition of me it's just another component it's something that i've been hiding from for this
0: for all, my whole life at that point and and what you didn't didn't he have like a kind of a question like not maybe like what does this mean but i remember you specifically it was probably the hardest i've ever laughed if you want to share like what you told him this is what it doesn't mean when i'm going to do now
1: yeah um you know coming growing up in a very conservative rural community um there's a lot of really bad stereotypes right <laughs> and so i remember having to tell my dad just and i didn't know what his Views were or anything. Yeah. I just wanted to be absolutely sure that my dad was not one of those people who was going to assume that I was going to just start dressing in drag <laughs> because I'm gay. I guess I got to dress in drag, <laughs> and that's the, that's not it at all. So I wanted to make be make. I wanted him to make sure that I wasn't going to show up to Christmas wearing a dress.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's- I remember when you told me that a few months ago, I was crying. I was laughing so hard.
1: And I remember <laughs> oh, for like a couple weeks, he he struggled with it. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And, you know, he still kind of struggles with it a little bit today. But for a couple weeks, he really struggled hard with it because he felt that it was something that he had done. Hmm. something, Something along the lines of me growing up. And he was questioning everything. Mm-hmm. What did I do? What did I do? Was it, it the divorce? Was it this? Was it that? And and it's like I know I had to tell tell him like Dad, you've done nothing, nothing to me. To cause this,
0: mm-hmm. it, it seems There's, like yeah. When 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 someone is thinking that way, and this is what we're gonna get into the the ethical part and the moral part of it, a little bit later when it comes to the Bible, Christianity, like conservatism. But this idea like if he had done something it. It's like this understanding of that it was bad. Yes. and If he did something to you, then therefore it was bad, and that's why you are what you are. Yes, and that's
1: another one of those stereotypes, mm -hmm. you know, that um, this community has is that, well. You're damaged somehow. You're somehow damaged or, um, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding that, if you're gay, you must have been abused by somebody. Yeah, You must have been molested by somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Yes, there are probably some cases, some outliers, but no, that's a bad stereotype.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, but the one thing that your dad and your mom didn't do is they didn't distance themselves from you. Their reaction wasn't to do what we have seen and heard and testimonies they didn't banish you or pretend that you didn't exist. Correct. And then I was how, very fortunate for that. Yeah. How, how did, were you, was that something you were possibly preparing for? Cause you said you're in Florida for a reason. Were you? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh
1: yeah. Um, I, I wanted to make be, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be fine no matter what. Mm. If my family didn't want anything to do with me, it would be a sad day, but
0: sayonara. Yeah and so was it was it surprising that they that they didn't do that i mean
1: i guess deep down i felt that they wouldn't do that mm-hmm. but there was always that lingering thought that it could happen to me i mean and i was just basing that based on where i came from
0: the rural conservative the culture traditional yeah. you know society so because yeah, we've seen it, you know, it's, it, and I will say that that particular stereotype is there for a reason Yeah. Uh, when it comes to this this very thing.
1: Well, Matthew Shepard um, passed away, The I believe, in 98, I think the year before I graduated high school. Um, I remember his death very, very vividly as far as, like, what happened, and I remember seeing it on the news and things like that.
0: And for those who don't know that.
1: Yeah, Matthew Shepard um, grew up in a very similar culture, um, conservative, rural area, um, and when he went off to college, he got involved with the wrong people at the bar, and he was brutally murdered and tied up to a fence post and set on fire. And so when you see those things, yeah, you immediately think, no way am I ever going to come out Yeah. Unless I'm... Why would you? further? Unless I'm far from anybody that could do me harm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that makes total sense. And, you know, personally, I was four years old. I never even heard of that story. You know, like, that's not... That was something when, when you told me about that a few months ago. I It was, like, a vague understanding of, like, yeah, I, I think I remember hearing about it. But it doesn't live fresh with me. But also, you know, for us, for somebody like myself who, who is not gay... That you know that story for me is just like oh it was just a story of murder which is tragic but it doesn't didn't have that second layer of connection that mm-hmm. I, I didn't have and many others didn't have and so when you're describing your testimony leading up to this I mean that is something I'm hoping people are hearing maybe maybe for the first time and at least having some empathy with maybe some other people uh, that not necessarily your age because I don't know if millennials or Gen Z uh, will remember that or even relate to that particular story uh, with Matthew. But uh, one thing that I've, I've always respected since we first started talking was your unabashed, like, just raw honesty about where you have been, where you are now, where you want to be with your spiritual life, your, your social life. It's so very refreshing. And I think a lot of people who might uh, identify as homosexual at least let me be listening to this or somebody who is passionate about you know equal rights and everything else who's listening to this they might see you and, and view you as a caricature of a caricature that like well you what do you mean what do you mean you don't define yourself as and what do you mean you you came out to your parents and like well you would go to a church like wh- that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right so what I want to get at with this journey is that this was this was a multi-layered thing for you. This is your journey through this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the one of the things that that is asked many times is that since it's your journey, is that is this something that's always been there that you've always known that you were gay? Is that in because your dad bringing up that fear? Of, is this something that he did? Was that something that you you were discussing like well yeah this is just who I've been I just because of that story. Um, you, you were afraid and you wanted to distance yourself.
1: Um, I have, as long as I can remember, I've known. Okay. You know, I was even at an age where you didn't even know what gay was. You didn't even know the word. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew then that I was attracted to the same sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not attracted. I didn't look at girls the way that I looked at boys. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel towards girls the way I felt towards boys um and this is even at an age where it's not a sexual feeling
0: mm-hmm. sure yeah.
1: it's just it's just a feeling you know what you I mean I felt more I, I just you understand right? yeah I do yeah yeah um like I lost track of where we were going with that but um that's okay
0: uh, no, just you. You always, you always knew. So I, I think mm-hmm. that my segue there was like, so when you, when people, you know, just say, I was born this way, like that. That's one of the phrases that's that's thrown out there, and you can't change me. It's, it's a, it's a response of like, this is who I am, mm-hmm. and and you're rejecting me. And when you reject my orientation and what I want and my preferences, you're rejecting not just this thing that I just happened to turn into. It was you're rejecting everything that I am, and I think maybe as a heterosexual. Who I've always I've looked at girls differently than I looked at boys, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. as a as a heterosexual myself, you know, taking what you just said, it would and if someone said, no, that you can't, like that particular thing is wrong, in the same way, I'd feel kind of slighted. So what are you what are your thoughts on the people the born this way, or like the scientific explanation, non-scientific explanation, the can someone morph into uh, do, do they, as everyone start out heterosexual, then it's just the people that once they become enlightened, or are then gay. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Forgive me if that's a naive no, question. No, no. It, there's, there's just a lot out there.
1: It's, it's not naive, actually. Um, it only sounds naive because it's presented as a question. Yeah. But in reality, all of that stuff is happening. There are people born this way. Uh-huh. There are people who there's an event or something that may happen to them that jogs something in their being to be gay uh, or straight. Um, uh, And I've known a couple women who have been married and Mm -hmm. men just do not treat them right. Or maybe it was the men that they were with did not treat them right. And now they are in a loving relationship with Mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Um, Yes. So there's that happening as well. Um, I don't know the answers to all of that. Um, it's very unfortunate that a sexual predator can do that to somebody. Yeah. And then, of course, there's going to be a lot of struggles in that person's life other than just sex. Yeah, of course. Um, But as far as like the scientific approach, I can only kind of like my theory for people that are born this way, um, I believe that it is something genetic. I believe that it's um, nature's way of
0: saying there's too many people on this earth. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not attracted to the opposite sex, you can't technically... You're not procreating. Yeah, not procreating, not reproducing. Right. Okay, so that's the argument then.
1: Right. Okay. Right. Um, So now you're going to get involved with conversations about um, test tube babies for, you know, I I say that, Uh but that's really not politically correct. But people artificially inseminating Mm -hmm. their baby, or they have another woman carrying a baby that's not her genetic code. You know what I mean? These things are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's... Sometimes it's from straight couples that can't have children, so they hire somebody else to be a surrogate or whatever it may be. And sometimes it's gay couples who want children, and they hire this to be done. I don't necessarily agree with any of that. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say not necessarily. I don't. Okay. Just flat out. I, I don't get it. Because it goes against the natural order of things, of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I'm born gay, I know that I'm not designed to be having children, Mm -hmm. so therefore I don't.
0: So that's going to seem quite a shock to a lot of people, because that is, from my understanding, that's not the thinking method of a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus movement. Um, Correct. So why don't you agree, or why, why aren't you espousing that, that particular belief? Why, what led you to conclude that this matter? Because for a lot of people who might, be, who, who might be very uncomfortable at the moment, who might be very angry at you, or they might be saying, well, that was really judgmental, uh, not to use you as a token or a trophy to speak for everyone. That's not your purpose here. I want you to tell your story, because your story is unique, and I think it deserves to be heard why don't you think that way? Why? What led you to this conclusion?
1: Well, first of all, I'm not judging any of those people that I just right. explained. Um, if they have a child within those means, uh, great. I'm not saying you're gonna love your child any less or anything like that. No, it's it's great that you are a parent. I'm just I'm in disagreement with how it came about. Sure. Um, okay. I just. You look at all the things that are going on, and this is more of a political thing. You look at all the things going on about, you know, the climate, and you know, not just the climate, but how are we taking care of our our world and stewardship. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just you you cut down trees and you put up a parking lot. There's a song written about it, Joni Mitchell. Um, it's just a lot of these. Take, 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 and not a lot of giving, mm-hmm. not a lot of giving back to this
0: place that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so, like this idea that you know comes—that would ultimately that would be like a a argument of just being selfish, just the world you controlling things, you just wanting I want this, therefore I I want it this way, and it's another way of exercising your control over something right sure um sure so one of the questions that i I wanted to ask is this is this ties directly into what we're talking about is that this this is going to be an idiotic question but it's a clarification for people who might not have ever had a conversation with someone who has a different orientation or they have their own stereotypes that this is what this podcast is doing is we're trying to break down these barriers okay and my thing is what what type of so like, what type of gay is Nathan? Because you, because you've, uh, yeah, I know it's a, it's a, <laughs> I know it's a ridiculous question, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm asking that specifically because you said in the very beginning, when, when, when you started this, this particular uh, line of questioning here, and this feels like an interview, um, you said that's just that's not who I am. It's an aspect of me. That's not what the pride movement is. In fact, the pride movement's pride in, in the difference of, uh, in. The fact that I am this way, I'm going to take pride in that. Now we'll get to we'll get to the church and everything here a little bit later, but that's not you, and you've never been that way. So why don't you wear it as a badge of honor or as the fact that I'm different and I'm I have I'm finally getting the rights. I'm finally getting the equal treatment that we deserve. But you're not championing that. You're not throwing that back in people's faces. For some, that's that's confusing. That's almost at like a betrayal
1: um, well, pride. Should we talk about that?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Absolutely.
1: I'm not a prideful person. I'm just not. Um, I don't need to boast about anything. Um, well, let me take that back. I might boast that, you know, the crops that I planted turned out really good. You know what I mean? But something like that. But, I don't feel the need to, say, uh, stand up on a pedestal or a soapbox and scream, you know, I am gay and wave around a rainbow flag to delineate, delineate, is that the right word, who I am. Um, I don't know. I just, I've been an advocate of the human rights campaign and not the pride campaign Mm -hmm. because... Human rights is like we're all involved. Yeah. It's not just... Everybody's involved in that. Every marginalized person or group or faction is involved Mm -hmm. and represented in the human rights campaign. The pride movement is look at me, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be gay. I'm proud to be out. Now granted, I get it. There is this, this sense of
0: Comfort or so to speak I don't know if that's the right but for people to it's peace. It's peaceful that, that you can you can be at ease knowing that's not a secret. Right. right. And it's also you're not being killed for it. <laughs> you know? Um any at least any by any modern standard. Kind of. Yeah. Um I would imagine. It's <laughs>
1: This is one of those really difficult conversations about pride, the pride movement. And, you know, when somebody that doesn't understand it sees a pride parade on television and they see these guys dressed up, and Lord knows what, and these other guys dressed up in leather and these guys wearing next to nothing and these guys wearing dresses and everything. If somebody does not know About the LGBT community, and they see something like that on television or in their town or city, they're going to have a skewed idea of what that group of people is all about.
0: And and trying to accomplish. Right.
1: The gay community is, they're partiers, they like to party. I don't their their events are very it's a show it's always a show it's always a show their their pride parades are it's a spectacle the human rights campaign is not it's not any of that mm-hmm. it's just it's not i mean
0: Can I I dare just say from a Christian perspective as a pastor um, that the idea of taking pride in anything that's earthly, um, that is sinful. Uh, The book of James says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there's nothing humble about a movement that is taking pride in one's sexual orientation.
1: Yeah, I I just don't get it.
0: Yeah. And for you... I would not describe you as a proudful person. I never have, and from a traditional point of view, we, you know, that looking at what the Bible says, this is where some people are going to possibly turn this podcast off. I hope not. I want people to hear your heart and hear how you you reconcile how you how you battle with with this. There's, I would imagine there's tension, but the The church that I pastor, that you attend, and by the way, you're a board member on, you know, was is a former, is a former United Methodist Church. Now, it wasn't just because of the stance on homosexuality that the Community Church of North Adams separated. It wasn't just because of that, but that was one of the reasons. And so, we're now a non-denom church. I'm pastoring there. You know what our code of conduct and our, our lifestyle covenant says. And in the midst of all of that and then being honest with the board, not only did our board welcome you in, they said, thank you for sharing and you hey, you're on the board. But someone would ask, what in the world are you doing? Aren't you being duplicitous? Like you're somehow being guilt tripped. Like those people really don't love you. Or you really don't love yourself, or you know what, Nathan? That's fine. You're you're gay. You don't you don't. It's okay. You don't have to run with us, pride people. But don't think for a second uh, that you're being truthful. You're lying to yourself. These people don't care about you.
1: Well, so the church wanted me on the board, and they were just going to put me on the board, no questions asked, because of who my dad is. Yeah, my dad's on the board. Um, I wasn't going to have that. There was something that they needed to know about me yeah. um, before that they made their decision. Now I, I will say I had everything planned out. What I was going to say, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't transpire like that. Um, but I will say that uh, that evening when I addressed the board, there were tears. Yeah. Not only from me, but also from some board members. That tells me that they care.
0: Yeah. And that wasn't sadness for the record. No. It was it was tears of joy in hearing like your your testimony but what you are and what you what you're doing there. And part of that which I heard, I didn't read the minutes, but you don't have an agenda. No. Can you explain what that means, like not having an agenda?
1: The only agenda that I have for being on the board for that church is that we stand by what that church, what defines that church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, My personal agenda has no place in a place like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're there representing the church, which is representing its congregation. Somebody's personal agenda, it may not even be mine, somebody's personal agenda is like, that will always get in the way and cause problems.
0: Always. Mm -hmm. And so you, you lay that part of your life down in order to serve the church, and you're not seeking to reform or sit on the board so that they can you can somehow convince them that what our interpretation of the Bible is wrong.
1: Right. For example, you know, like uh, if I had my own agenda, um, one might think that I'm on the board to try to get the church uh, to get behind the idea of having a gay marriage in the church.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -mm. Yeah. And this is going back to the whole control concept. I'm like... I'm not in control and having agenda means that you're in control you, you have some level of control trying to push that agenda mm-hmm. right you're yeah. in control of that I yeah. want to get I want to make sure that this gets through um, I'm, I
0: don't want to be in control <laughs> yeah. because you've seen in your past life what happens when you try to do it you mm-hmm. hit rock bottom you were in a There's very problems. yeah you were a very difficult and physically dangerous situation if you ever needed a reminder, you actually have that experience to fall back on when you or feel like, well, anytime I'm tempted to take hold of something and and make sure I get my get it my my way. Um, I didn't get that. Could you try again? See, even Siri's even having a hard Siri's time. Having... See, and technology is revolting against us. They don't even want us to talk about this. One of the things I I have Google that never that never goes wrong with my my assistant. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I think of when we we talk about you know these things, what's what's difficult for people to to reconcile is what they see and portrayed in the media, what they see maybe in their own friends and family's lives, but not being able to sit down and just listen to somebody, and I think you know what, what was was fascinating is that when I when I talked two weeks ago on sexual identity, I I dared to try to preach that from the pulpit, but it wasn't me. I was just trying to listen to God. I and talk about control, I got to step aside on Sundays. And it was something that we did as a congregation together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that I tried to, to talk about was the, church, the church's role in the pride movement. And it resonated with a gentleman that I, I, shared, I shared with you, the messages that we had, that there's, there's, a, there's a gentleman that I know who's a very strong atheist, is very much opposed to the existence of God but he he said i'm going to listen to this message to see how far apart we are for the for the for better for worse and he said he gave me credit he said that in a christian setting to make the statement that the church is responsible for it is quite an astonishing admission to make in a church setting and one of the things that when we talk about sexual identity we talk about these things like one i think anything above child of god or anything in front of it is an idol. If you put sexual identity, like if I'm a heterosexual and that's all I am, that's a, that's idolatry. Same thing with homosexuality. But the one thing that that I tried to talk about is that the church—it's our fault. It is the church's fault. It's that traditional Christian, uh, very much like uh, in a way that stereotypical Southern Baptist. In my opinion, we're the ones that treated homosexuality as like a sin because it was uncomfortable for us. Man, look where fear plays a role in uncomfortable and you, when you can't talk to somebody and I wonder if they're going to start looking at me weird or like oh hey look at I, my brother my brother's gay well I guess I can't change with him anymore because I don't want him looking at me there's all these things out there mm-hmm. that that people have mm-hmm. and the church was like you know what that sin's going to send you to hell faster and so we just jettisoned that entire conversation just kicked it down the road we we're hype hate, or hateful spiteful people and when I said the following you had a you had a response so you had you had like an affirmative response when i said it's not as if the gay community can't stomach what the bible says they just can't tolerate who is telling them
1: yeah yes. because for for it still happens um, yeah, with course. a lot of churches it's it's like all the other sins can be forgiven all the other sins can be worked on when you're here with us at church mm-hmm. all those other sins we can uh, I'm sorry. Come come worship with us. You know what I mean? That gay thing. It's like all of a sudden, nope, we don't want it.
0: Yeah. It's we don't we can't have it here. It's it's we don't want to even entertain the idea that we we might, you know, be somehow hypocritical. No, we just we get rid of you. And I think historically if you oppress a group of people for a certain amount of time, eventually they will gain recognition and they'll gain control, but usually when you push, when when one side's really radical, it radicalizes the other, and the middle ground where logic can happen, where cal- mm-hmm. calmer heads can prevail, all that stuff is, is lost.
1: So there, it, it's funny because I've heard it, I've heard it in church, you're gay, you're going to hell.
0: Yeah, Ugh, gosh.
1: They just immediately go to that. Well, I know a woman, I'm not going to say any names, I know a woman who's been married three times, divorced three times. I'm sorry, divorced twice, married three times. She wanted to be a pastor. I can guarantee you, nobody's, you're divorced,
0: you're going to hell. Get out of our church. Yeah. That's not happening. Right. And it's historically, it's either happened with with women who are pregnant out of wedlock and they're young and, you know, what about the least of these? And then people who, uh, and guess, who identify as gay and then there's no place for them. No place at all. And then what happens is that we have 60 years, 70 years later, and the church is reaping what it sowed, which it's it sowed nothing. It's sowed nothing. And I think the over and opposite reaction is you're seeing churches fold, Mm-hmm. to, to the, that pressure because for me it's like, well, wait a minute. So was the previous 2,000 years of us interpreting this particular thing wrong or are we feeling guilty that we oppressed people for so long so maybe we're willing to, to change? And that's a, que- that's a question we've actually discussed. You're not wanting people to change uh, in our church or what the Bible says. But again, there's people who will say, no, that's what you're supposed to do. You're, you're failing us. You're failing our community by not championing this. Like, forget about your own agenda. What about our agenda? What about this greater collective that you're that you're a part of? What, what do you say to the, the critics then who are like, no, you're right. This isn't about you. It's not supposed to be your agenda. This is about human rights. And the church is oppressive. Why aren't you championing human rights from a massive platform in the church? Well, first and
1: foremost, the reason why you go to church is for yourself first and foremost. Um, So that's my priority is to cultivate and to nourish my relationship with Christ for me. How that, and if collectively my congregation is doing the same thing, going to church to nurture their relationship with Christ for themselves collectively that will be a collective good you know what i mean to answer mm-hmm. your question i mean it would just it would be welcoming it would be supportive
0: you know what mm-hmm. i mean um, yeah that's a that's a tough question yeah because certainly that would be an argument you could make of like well you're supposed to fight for us there because i want to be able to go to church but they hate me but you're somehow on the inside, you got the ear of, of a you have a pastor. So why aren't you taking meetings with them and trying to change his mind? Um, you know, that they easily could, there's people who easily could just throw that that softball out there.
1: Well, if they're gonna do that, then uh, it goes back to how do I wanna say this? We had a history lesson in one of our services over the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff in there that I didn't realize. that I learned something. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm asking the question, how many people don't know that? How many people don't know the history? Mm-hmm. How many people don't know that the book of Revelation was written years and years and years after Christ passed?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you... It's like you have this 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 picture painted in your head that like one book got written and the next one book book got written and and so forth and so on, and that's not what happened, so going back to your question, like shouldn't I be championing you know I'm championing for Christ that's who I'm championing for mm-hmm. um I'm not championing championing for a select community to feel welcomed or, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to answer.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a bit, you're, you're, you're not focused on the, the worldly aspects. You're there to, to serve Christ first. And I think, yeah, first, hey, primarily, we go to church to serve God. End of story. He's worthy of our praise. End of story. And through that, you know, God connects and communes with his people. And ultimately, if you're gonna to try to fix something else or someone else, it kind of brings back in that whole idea of, you know, the needle and the plank in your eye of like, what are you what are you working on? Like for myself, it's like always under maintenance from Christ first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it exposes motive. That's the one thing. It's always it's motive. You can easily tell where where people are at with with Christ based on their motives and for if you were to say that my goal here in this church is to get people these hateful people to change their mind i would say well what's the purpose of the church what's your purpose here and if it's not to serve god first like you would said you're exercising some sort of control it seems to me that again it's idolatry that we're wrestling with and the fact that you don't define yourself again ontology by your sexuality i think is a beautiful thing because that's not all that you are. Correct. Okay. And isn't it? I mean, for anyone who might be struggling with that, who are like, well, yeah, but this is this is who I am. Like I'm not we're not I'm not saying that the people who are gay right now, I am not denying that reality. I'm not denying that that is an important part of you. I just know that I believe you are way more than that, but our culture says, no, that that can be all that you are, and that's a good thing, and that is that's like so countercultural or counterintuitive to what Scripture is talking
1: about. Mm-hmm.
0: So, do, do you do was the, is that tension difficult for you specifically to deal with? Is the, you know, my identity first in Christ or my identity is in my sexuality? Well, I, I mean, I don't
1: struggle with it. I'm sure there are people that do, um, yeah, but. I officially accepted Christ in two thousand one, mm-hmm. two years before I even came out. So, it wasn't a hey, I'm gay first. Now I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. No, I, I did what was necessary mm-hmm. <laughs> first, and then I built upon that. Mm-hmm. And. I think that, I mean, if you just do that, if you focus on Christ as the building block and then everything else can be built on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah. that's, that's your foundation. All the rest of the stuff can change even. That's All these true. other labels that you, I am this, I am that. Well, I was a lighting designer and audio engineer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I am no longer that. It's just something that I did. Mm-hmm. I am a Christian. It's it's rock solid. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's steady. That's the constant. How do you build it? like? And then I remember asking you um, last week at service. So if though all of those things are idols, then the question is, how do I represent the different facets of who I am without
0: idolizing them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that. That is, you know, I, the only I can interpret that in my in my life is my struggle with am I called to a life of celibacy, or am I, or is marriage something that God has in store for me? Like the most, like one that's a personal, like I can relate from the, from the human sexuality standpoint of, that the tension or just the people just constantly asking, because uh, people still assume. So for me, it's. It's the how I measure that is the amount of time that I spend thinking about it or controlling it absolutely am I am I at peace just allowing life to go on and life to continue or am I constantly seeking for fulfillment in something else? do I am I coming away from church feeling emptier than I mm-hmm. did when I went in mm-hmm. and that will expose motive? Why did I go there today? mm-hmm That's the only way I know, I personally know how to answer that. And I think anyone who's going away from church emptier, I'm not talking about conviction, because sometimes conviction can kind of feel you, kind of uh, leave you feeling kind of uh, maybe a little distraught, but it's not emptiness. If you go away feeling empty, it's because you didn't get what you wanted, but we're, we're going to church to worship God first, not worship ourselves. So... I, again i i want to ask you why do you go to our church <laughs> like how can you given everything that you've said like it, it's it's, you're, it's it's so counter to what the average christian in this nation sees from someone who's gay okay you're you are not the norm but i still like sometimes i'm like well why, why are you on the board of a church that you know, believes in the Bible, like, in, in its traditional sense about what marriage ought to be. And, you know, and you have the you have the people out there that say, well, you know, and it calls for the uh, calls for the death of homosexuals in Leviticus. And it's like, how can you be on the board of, of some people who say you should die and the way your life deserves, um, a, like, you know, destruction and oblivion? Like, how can you do that, Nathan? Well, because I want I
1: want the church and the word of God to be taken in its full context, rather than just bits and pieces.
0: Oh. <laughs> just angered maybe a lot of people or made people sit back a little bit. What do what well? Do you, good. What do you mean on that? Yeah. So, using the Bible for your own means is that what you're? No,
1: understanding it, it's it's the whole con it's the whole picture the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible isn't about. Remembering a verse and then constantly reciting that verse when you see fit. Because there's other things, there's other things that have happened that are, that can be kind of related or come back around to the scripture that you're reading. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, like the other last, the other week when we were talking about, um, Why do evil things happen to good people or why do good things happen to bad people? And you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Yeah. And you can't talk about this sin without talking about the other sins. And you can't talk about all of the sins without talking about sin in itself. Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. You have to understand these things before you can...
0: I don't want to say past judgment, but you know what I mean? Before you can, can move forward, continue. And speak into a particular one. Right. It's understanding like what sin is in the beginning, in the first place. Because some people don't even like the word sin. They don't like the idea of that Christianity talks about the human heart as deceptive. And that, you know, at least from a marketing standpoint, the Christian, Christian message is pretty terrible. Uh, it's that we need a Savior for a reason, and it's not because we are so good. Uh, we were created in that way, then fell away from it, right? But why do we need a savior? If we're so good, we don't need one. Jesus, Jesus was just there to pat us on the back. He didn't need to die for anything, right? So, but that—that's the thing. If you want to take the whole Bible, why did Jesus die then? But how many—how many churches are talking about sin? Not just one particular one, but just the idea of sin. Like the human heart is deceptive. It's corruptive. Like, do we? We talk about that enough, you think?
1: Uh no. <laughs> no. No, we really don't. It's not a popular message. Um That just that comment made me think of all of the priests that we've mm. read about in the news. Yeah. Um and all of the people in those congregations that look up to that Person, like, put the priest on a pedestal as being divine, almost, yeah. you know? Yeah. And talking about the heart
0: <laughs> of what you just said, everybody's got one. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of like putting anyone up on a pedestal, anyone, just you know, the idea of like a Christian celebrity. Uh, songwriter, movie star, you know, athlete, and then we're surprised when they have, like, a fall from grace, in a way.
1: Right, like, right. And it's not... I don't want to say, like, it's just all, all priests that were molesting children no, or whatever, of course. <laughs> you know, because you could have a priest up there that, you know... He's great. He's doing everything by the book. He's doing everything that he needs to be doing. But maybe... In his heart, when he's talking to somebody, consulting with somebody, pastoring somebody, maybe he's got other thoughts in his brain. Maybe he's not connected with this person. Maybe he would rather do something else. Maybe he's feeling like he doesn't have time for this person. Um, all of those things are a problem too.
0: Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a human struggle. Right. And yeah, that's where I think there's a there's a greater narrative to be at play here. Is that you have to you have to be demonstrative. I, I, in my opinion, as a pastor, in like championing the fact that you are not that important, uh, that God will use that church with or without you. The pulpit is a platform for a body to fill, and if you are doing it right, it is not you speaking; it's the Holy Spirit. And at least the way we do our liturgy in our church is that before I have to come up there and yap for a few minutes. We've already prayed, we've already heard the gospel message, we've already sang our songs and we've taken an offering. The church is done at that point, <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know and know but being able to commune with people and say and be like vulnerable and like being able to say like yeah, we're all human, we're all in this struggle together. Um, that's, I think that's the greater narrative and when you when you force people away from that, I think it's no wonder what we have today uh with like the pride movement and and people just defining themselves by what you know by these adjectives these i am
1: right well and also i think it's the it's only fair to say that um those perceptions and that's coming from the other side too think of all of let's just use the gay community for an example because that's what we're talking about yeah okay all You know, for years and years and years, you have the church saying, gay, 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 you're, you're out. You're, you're sinners, you can't... You know, for whatever reason, they're putting that, that emotion as, we don't want you. Well, then, all of those people are sitting back, looking at the churches, and they're coming up with their own ideas about why they don't like that particular church. Or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. example... Um, and something that I struggle with too. When we read the Word of God before we begin at service, yeah, one of the things that I struggle with, and I've struggled with, it doesn't matter what church it is, it feels dry. Yeah, yeah. It, there's, and the Bible has a a poetic feeling to it. It's it, it's living. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I struggle with reading those verses, and everybody's reading it so dry, and like, I want emotion out of that. And that's something that we're not necessarily giving, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, my point is there's some people that look at the church and like, oh, I'm not doing that. It's just, it's dry.
0: Yeah. It's boring. Catholic Church up down up down up down yeah like yeah and it does it does speak into perspective again also motive but also like the fact that we can have a conversation about that and it's like not not one person's opinion or insight should be rejected because you're not part of the staff or you're not uh you're not a member of the church I constantly want feedback mm-hmm. like I feel totally comfortable you saying that over the podcast it doesn't offend me it makes me rethink maybe there's a new way we can do that like that's that's how I think it's supposed to be, uh, when when you say these communities left and everything, you, we actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. What what is your what is your reaction then when the church pushed people away and they say, well, I'm still a Christian. I still believe that the the Bible is, you know, I struggle with these portions of Scripture, but I still love Jesus. You know, I still love the message of of the Bible. So we start our own church, and not that it's labeled the gay church, but we, but society labels it that way. And not, not because they wanted it to be, it's just that, or, or they find people or, or the church says, maybe we, maybe we went too far. So we're willing to allow, well, clergy to, to be, uh, open. We're allowed, uh, with gay, gay weddings, you know, you can be gay, ministers can be gay. We're totally fine. Like we've completely gone, we, we've gone against the grain and, We've misinterpreted the Bible. What What do you say to people who attend churches like that? Do you think that's? I, mean, I know that they label themselves a gay church, but is that? Is that the uh, like the predictable opposite reaction when you push people away? What's my reaction? Uh, just the idea of uh, I'll respond. So, when, when you see, uh, people who have been pushed away by the church because mm-hmm. of this, and then either they start their own church or they find a church that is accepting of a gay lifestyle. Do you think that is a predictable reaction to this hate, this this hatred, For I guess for better terms, as they, they start their own quote-unquote gay church or they find an affirming church? Do, do you think that's to be expected when you push people away for so long that they find a, another avenue back in?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's human nature. I mean, you see it play out on the playground with kids. Cl- kids will gravitate to... Other kids that aren't threatening to them, mm-hmm. that aren't bullying them, um, that uh, want to play with them—you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I
0: mean, sure. And of course, it's going to happen. Of it's course, part- that's going to happen, yeah. right? And like I said, like when you have a radicalized like take on, like you're going to hell because of this, then what culturally what ends up happening is what is what we've seen. But in the church. This fracturing, um, that's that's very emotional, and it has has caused real pain. It's caused division amongst family and churches. What what do you have to say to churches that are wrestling with this potential choice of should we, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel on on our our code of conduct? Should we really go back to scripture and say did, did is the Bible really saying this or was just was or the restrictions that Paul and Jesus and the Old Testament put on like on marriage was that just for a particular time? Like, what do you have to say to these church leaders dealing with that?
1: Well, you know? I I'm just gonna go out on a whim. Um, I would l- really like to see a lot of churches' uh, code of conduct because I'm I'm just gonna guess that there's no language in there that says no gays allowed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, I mean, our church was very it talks about God and following God. And it, it, it's, it, <laughs> I just don't understand, like, if that's what you're about, then all of a sudden you're pushing people away. Mm-hmm. I just, um, yeah, so, oh my. Um,
0: those are <laughs> difficult questions. Difficult questions to answer. Yeah. And not that you have to have an answer. And I'm, I'm just, obviously, clearly by now I'm just using you uh, for, because you can speak into this. And, and that's not, not the point of this podcast at all. It's that these conversations need to happen. Because mm-hmm. what happens when they, what happens when people don't have these conversations? There's assumptions. Drift. There's fear. There's judgmentalism. Yeah. And there's drifting. Mm-hmm like, and it's okay to have tension. Like, my blood pressure is normal. Your blood pressure is normal. My heart rate's fine. Like, I've not, you're not offended by the questions I've asked you tonight. Um,
1: But also, even more so, like, I know this may sound like if I was experiencing prejudice in my own church, Mm -hmm. instead of just, like, running away and finding something else that fits in line with me, a gay church or a church that's accepting. Like, instead of just reacting and running away, I would want to, like, say something within my own church. Mm -hmm. Like, let's reel it back in, folks. Um, Because I'm not here, essentially, for you. And you're not here for me, essentially.
0: Yeah. Essentially, what you're getting at is that asking churches to hold up Their end of the bargain on their own, like you mentioned, code of conduct, but also people living up to like own personal holiness. Because does even if you disagree with somebody to a point of something that's, you know, pretty serious, like sexual orientation, that's a huge thing to deal with. Because we believe you know sex was created by God. And if you are pursuing God in your life and you are constantly seeking after his will, your holiness, do you think that leads to then saying, Hey, you, you need to get out of the church. You need to.
1: Well, I do done. think that some people are getting that quote calling from God, that message from God. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. We saw it play out in the political environment.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This last
1: election, mm-hmm. um, people were praying that I'm just going to use this as an example. Sure. People were praying that, please, God, let Trump win this election. Instead of praying for the election itself.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Like, that's what we need to be focusing on. Like, And if somebody doesn't understand a gay member of their church, they need to be calling on God to give them some insight and some guidance on how to manage what it is that they're feeling towards that person. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, some people are going to get the this wrong message, or you know what I mean, or they claim that well, God tells me to do this, or you know whatever. So there's going to be that going on too, but um, I don't know how to I don't know how to answer that one. But if somebody is quick to point their finger and judge somebody, I don't know.
0: I just think that they need to sit back down and. Reevaluate first again yeah. plank needle uh, and, and that's that's the point is that you know when Jesus says do not judge lest you be judged in the same way you measure you know, it'll be measured against you uh, people take that as like well see you can't judge well the scripture is pretty clear on the fact that we as Christians can we will judge each other by our own fruit and I think it's not it's the people that are issuing out the condemnation the most are the ones that are like um excuse me. <laughs> Uh, you know that one thing, uh, it's its just—it's the hypocrisy. I mean, look how much hypocrisy Satan has used that um, in the church and through the church to damage so many people. And I am so grateful that you are serving in the church, you're at church every day, you are challenging people, and I can see that fruit in your life. And I don't think for a second your life is any less because you are not out there in the party if you will, like what you had said. Uh, do you think you're missing out on anything? No. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. Um,
1: have I ever done those things? Have I ever gone to gay clubs and things like that? Sure, yeah, I, I do that. Every now and then I'll go with some friends and go get a drink or whatever. Um, but I'm not missing out on any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel, for me... I would be missing out if I didn't have Christ. Absolutely. I feel like I would just be floundering around aimlessly, just kind of like blank faced is is kind of the image I have in my head. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have Christ, Mm -hmm. I would just be like this zombie walking around making bad decisions.
0: (laughs) Because you were there. Yeah. You know what it was like before. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting you have this like this before after and then the after after that that came uh, and so I, I guess as one of the final questions uh, to you is that what what did you what do you what do you want to say to the 21 like, year old nathan or that the person in the congregation a congregation right now who loves jesus who loves the church but is deathly afraid of being honest with them with their family and friends for the same reasons they they, they don't have the resources to go to florida mm-hmm. they're the ones that they don't they're in that same type of community but they don't have an outlet so if their world burns down around them they don't have a, a safety net so that's why they they're not saying anything And what do you say to the to to the people around those those people who have just come out what well, what are your advice to again the, the people who are wrestling with coming out and then to the family members around them
1: um we actually had uh, a sermon about this fear. I learned a lot about that you know when we discussed that.
0: Well, let's praise God for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, fear. what do you what are you afraid of? Yeah And if you're afraid of something, what are you praying about? Yeah. Probably trying to overcome that fear, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. So, what do you have that? What do you have that you're so afraid of? For those people that are looking at a, a gay member in their church or gay people in the community, and they have like these negative thoughts or feelings towards these people, what are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. And for those Gay folks who are struggling with whether or not they can come out, um, what are you afraid of? I'm not saying like you shouldn't be afraid. Yeah. I'm just saying, what are you afraid of? And then um, the Bible talks a lot about fear. Yeah. So they might find some
0: answers when they start engaging in scripture and. Right. And, and praying about it, yeah. Right. I right. would think people, if you want to start, read Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, you know, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and there's also, you know... Reverence. Sorry, reverence is, the, is that type of fear. When you have reverence for God first, that's the beginning of wisdom, just for people listening.
1: And, you know, for some folks, coming out may not be the answer. Very good point. And if that's the case great so be it um, but for others it's like it, it's like that burning desire to like get it off their chest but yeah. they don't know who to talk to um, I can just uh, suggest even talking to a stranger mm-hmm. at least you're talking to somebody
0: yeah a stranger might be a good idea there's nothing there's yeah, I don't like know. It you, might like be those, a bad idea. Like you those two know. girls, you know, no, nothing to lose, and ho- and the thing is, is us pastors. Like hopefully, you know, a pastor would be the you know one of the first people, assuming that a pastors doing exactly what they're doing, protecting the flock and not ostracizing those who are who are in that pit of despair or who are feeling pressure. You know, mm-hmm. um, but that that takes that takes some guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, the best part is that God already knows. And so he's also a great person to consult about a lot of this. But when you talk when talks about when talking to each other as humans, yeah, like getting somebody that, like you mentioned with your aunt, like I have very similar people like in my life that I'm like, well, my mom and dad they know me so well. I want to talk to somebody who doesn't know me well, you know, or somebody who can offer that different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who can say, listen, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, no, no baloney here. This is exactly what I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. uh, or how give you an honest response. So. Um, I think the themes of tonight are, like, who's in control of your life. What what are you going to church for? And what what are you fearing? What are you what are you afraid of? Those are like the four questions, that and the thing is, I I don't know the answers. You don't know all the answers to that. I I want people to go away from this particular episode, understanding that there's more to life than just orientation, and if you're not fitting the mold. That you think someone should fit, is that an indictment on them or is it an indictment on you? Right? Because even people who aren't gay who champion the gay movement can also look at you and say you're not doing what you're you should do. It's like, but wait a minute. Again
1: Oh, I, I caught flack that? for the whole gay marriage debate. Yeah? All of my gay friends, you know, were advocates for gay marriage. And you're not and I'm like one of the few that was not and that's because well um, marriage is a biblical thing it's a unity Um, I'm not saying that I don't think that gay people should be allowed to have a loving relationship with each other love means love that I'm not talking about actual sex. Yeah. I'm talking about everybody deserves a loving, nurturing relationship with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um but to be gay married, it just it just <laughs> it doesn't have a ring to it to me. It mm-hmm. does it doesn't sound right. It's like when that whole debate started, I felt that the gay community was barking up the wrong tree. Because here you have this religious this religious word that has been used for eons, for all of human history, marriage is between a man and a woman, and then you have that church pushing out a community, gay community. If you're gay, they kind of like push you out and you don't really belong. Um, So then you have these people saying, well, why can't I have what you have? And then they fight for gay marriage when it Mm could have been, they could have just been fighting for civil unions, domestic partnerships, that sort of thing. Um, But instead, they created this, I don't want to say war, but they created this battle between Christianity and the rest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it was the wrong the wrong approach. Yeah. And now look
0: now look where we're at. Yeah. More fracturing. More fracturing. Yeah. And so yeah. So you're you're going beyond like I like that. you're you're like, I respect what the Bible says, you know, the the etymology of marriage and what it is. And it's like, yes, the, the Bible's clear on what it means is what that should be. Then you're saying, also at the same time, from the practical standpoint, like for you, you're saying it just doesn't seem right. But then you're introducing, which is one of the biggest, the biggest idol, like... It's not even just it's an it's an ideology problem. But it's ideological. It's this confusion of sex and love.
1: Yeah, yeah. They think when you know, um, it, they put the two
0: words together. Yeah. Like. Yeah, there's there's boundaries. Bible's very clear on boundaries on what the expressions of love, but it does in in marriage specifically, and what the marriage bed is for, and who it's between. But. Jesus. Would we dare say Jesus didn't have a he was missing out in his relationship with his disciples? <laughs> right. Right. Because he they, he didn't sleep with them? Like, was
1: was he missing out because he wasn't married? Married? Yeah. It's like, man, Jesus had a good life, but if only he was married. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was, it was such, and that's and that's true for people who like and who we were trying it, to be celibate too. And we
1: see that every day. Yeah, we do. Like, what's wrong? Like, oh, he's such a good boy, but if only he could find
0: himself a good woman. Okay, it's, I mean, I, and I will say this. I've had, excuse me, sorry, I'm getting a little animated here. I've had people in my family ask if I was gay because I didn't get married in college. Hmm. And that wasn't hurt. It was hurtful because it was the assumption that it, well, it must be because. It's like, well, yeah, I, you know, say yes, I didn't know I was that ugly. and I can't get any girl to marry me, mm-hmm. you know. But it was hurtful because... I'm like why are you assuming that I wanted I wanted to be married like yeah I do but it's it's like but that's not the right time and, and why, why did can't... you
1: put, why did you put that other context on it yeah if you're not
0: married are you gay yeah so and if i am and going back to you saying, is that because of what we've been trained to believe that for some reason you know one of the misnomers for myself is that guess gay people means that you can't keep your hands to yourself
1: Yeah. Or you prey on the vulnerable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another another I I can I can list them all. Yeah, another grandiose assumption, right? Yeah.
1: Um, as much as I was just gonna mention this, as much as I would feel that it's not right or odd to see two men getting married in a church, I also see heterosexuals getting married in a church where I feel the same way. So it, where's, where's the, uh, where, what's the word I'm looking for? Where's the God
0: in it? Yeah. Oh, you're, and you're talking about specifically couples who get married in a church just to get married in a church. Cause that's the only venue they can get married in. Right. They're not Christians. They don't attend the church. They, yeah, you know. whatever
1: the, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever yeah. that may be. It could be, you know, I know the, I know the woman and I know that she's, Kind of a floozy, and yet right. she's wearing white on her wedding day. You know what I mean? It's those types of things. Or I know that she's running around on her boyfriends, mm-hmm. and now they're getting married. And you just you just have that feeling like this is not this is not purposeful. This isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, maybe I'm not being good with my words, but oh, it's you're fine. There's no difference to me. I see two men getting married in a church, and I'm like, oh, well, man, that's not right. Yeah. And then I see a man and a woman getting married in a church, and it could be if their hearts were pure and mm-hmm. the intention was
0: where it's supposed to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? But then it's not. But sometimes. then it's not. Yeah. That, and that's... One thing I tried to bring up in my idea of sexual identity, you said you can't talk about this sin without talking. You can't talk about good if you don't talk about evil, vice versa. I, as a heterosexual myself, I can't in good faith talk about homosexuality without talking about the per, the perverse nature of heterosexuality. Oh, in this, and you're bringing that up with marriage. Like, why are why are pastors? I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not gonna name any, but like you're right. Like because marriage starts out as a historical thing, and. The culture takes marriage and it redefines it, and you know you because you, you can fall in and out of love. You fall in love, you get married. You fall out of love, you get divorced. It's not really a big deal, and you confuse sex, you confuse love together, you confuse affirmation in love. So you have all these different different things out there. So you have one pastor saying, "I'm not going to marry this gay couple," but this couple that I just that I don't know doesn't go here. They just want to get married. Hey, okay, well, they're not gay, so I guess I'll marry them. Right? Are you kidding
1: me? Or could it be he doesn't even know? Yeah, right. What if that man is, and this is Mm -hmm. something that I've noticed um, from being on some gay dating websites, is that it's quite alarming how many, quote, straight men who are married with children are on these types of sites Mm. that are running around behind their families back, doing Lord knows what. Yeah. It, it's not just straight people that are pure, right. or gay people that are disgusting. Yeah. Everybody has the ability to be disgusting. Yeah. Uh, equally. Equally. Yeah.
0: Right. And so. Yeah, I think. That, man, that is such a good point. And I, I wasn't even planning on going there. I, like that, those are the things that need to be discussed. And there's not easy answers to them. It's not. I'm not trying to put a black and white capstone on saying, if you, dis, if you have a different view than what you or I have talked about tonight, I want to partake in that conversation. The last thing I want to do is push anyone away if they disagree or have a different perspective than what you and I talked about. I think that what everyone can agree on, if you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower. What, where is Christ at the center? Or, well, that's the that's the leading question: Is Christ at the center of your life, mm-hmm. or is it your identity, or is it your job? You know, is it your, is it what people say that you are? You know, we we talk about the idea of identity. It's like some people. I, I think I talked about this also with you: Is that you know you, you're a career careerist in a particular field, and then you retire. Sometimes depression can happen because you're no longer that thing. You were defined by that thing. Now you're retired. You have another label. But I can't go to work and be a welder now for 40 years because for 40 years I was a welder, and now I'm not. So what does that mean when I don't have that anymore? Mm-hmm. Where's Christ in all of that, which is what you have mm-hmm. you said this entire time. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, thank you.
1: For me, it was, you. you know, and even when you're ex- – even when you take that step to accept Christ as your Savior, I didn't do it as a child. And yeah, there are children that do it mm-hmm. at Sunday school or you know, whatever the case may be. My parents were adamant that they wanted us to decide for ourselves if that's what we wanted to do. And more so, it was a matter of they wanted us to be an adult Meaning, our brain can actually it can actually like understand what it is that you're about to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a kid, you know, there's a lot. You still have life to go through. You still have experiences and everything. Um, so when I accepted Christ, it was like it was time leading up to the point of officially doing it. I knew that I wanted to do it, but I wasn't going to just, okay, I'm going to do it today. It was, I wanted to make sure that I understood exactly what I was preparing to do. So that way, when I did it, I did it with conviction, I did it with purpose. I didn't just do it just to say that Christ is my Savior, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm saved. I did it because, granted, I was distraught leading up to that point. So I wanted somebody to pick me up and carry me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I was asking for Christ to take over my heart, I was in the moment. I knew exactly what I was about to do, and I knew that my life would change if if I allowed it to happen, does that make sense? Yeah.
0: absolutely, it does.
1: So after after I did that, mm-hmm. incredible, mm-hmm. I, I should write a book. But yes, it was like after that, stepping stone, stepping stone, stepping stone. It's like I I saw the where I was supposed to go as clear as day, and all I had to do was take the path. Mm. It and it's happened like that since then, and that was in 2001,
0: did I say? Yeah, yeah 01. 2001. Well, praise God, man. Well, I can say, I can affirm, if there's anything we talk about affirmation, I can affirm the fact that there is fruit in your life. And when I see you walk into the church with a big old smile on your face through the mask, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's in your eyes. People, It gives it away through your eyes that I am, to see you being willing to I mean, listen, you have more pressure than I do socially when it comes to this thing. It's just, it's just, that's just what it is. And I'm not going to, you can't really pretend, pretend any different. And yet, considering your stances, you're constantly kicking against the stereotype on either side. It's very refreshing to see somebody says, I'm not defined by this. I want to be a child of God. End of story. It's started with Christ is ending with Christ anything else apart from that truly is me trying to control it mm-hmm. that's amazing that's a, that's an amazing testimony and that's why it deserves to be heard and as a prelude to your book you can always say that you started out <laughs> on the we shall not asleep podcast so thank you so much for sitting down for You're a couple welcome. hours tonight man uh, I praying for you as always. And I can't wait to see you on Sunday. That's the best part is that I get to see you in two days. So, so uh,
1: saying that, though, yeah, I know because, like, I'm part of a, a church community, and I'm also part of a non goer community. Yeah. When people say that, I'll pray for you, to the church community, it feels good. Yeah. It feels good to know that you have somebody thinking about you, wanting, wanting things to— be good and just for you. People that don't go to church and they hear that, they think, well, you don't need to pray for me. There's nothing wrong with me. Nothing wrong, yeah. Which, What's wrong with me? Why do you want to pray for me? Yeah. They get kind of a like, uneasy oh, that's about true. it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make that comment.
0: Oh, no, it's like I want to clarify is that I'm praying for my congregation all the time. And it's not because of Anything. So talk about discriminatory. I pray for everyone equally. That's the (laughs) least I I try to. And it's uh, not always because something's wrong. No, they're right. Like, Lord, thank you for Nathan. Continue to work in his life. Amen. It's that's the heart of it all, and the reason why. Again, I wanted to have you on, and why the. I mean, I wouldn't want you on this podcast if I believe you had something ugly to share with people. Mm. It's because you have something beautiful to share, and it has. And that's the best part about this is it has nothing to do with you, it has nothing to do with me, because you even said that if it, if you had it your way, you wouldn't even be sitting here tonight. Did I say that? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't be here if, if it wasn't for, um, if, if you kept taking control. Oh, if I was in control, yeah, yeah. I would be dead. Yeah. I would. Yeah. And. I would say it's pretty cool that you're not and I think your testimony the way you're living your life is going to help change people and I'll buy your book and I know the other listeners of this well, podcast will will buy your book <laughs> all the 10 people that will listen My book would be really really
1: boring. I don't I mean I just what I want people to really understand is that when when you devote your life and your heart to Christ Everything else just kind of works itself out. Yeah, it really does. You feel good, and when you don't, you're given you're given kind of like
0: a way to feel good, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, that's your present circumstances do not rule you; they do not define you.
1: It's it's not going to hurt you. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for those who don't have it man, I, I guess this is a call to evangelism. If you've been a part of a church that has, has hurt you and you, you're in this community, I, my heart is with you. Absolutely. And um, I'll say that even if you can't attend the Community Church of North Adams, there are people out there. And I, and I would say in the same way that I wouldn't judge a member of the LGBTQ plus community. I wouldn't chug, I wouldn't, have a bad interaction with one person and say, well, because I met one person who's, you know, completely radical and they're, they're, for example, calling for violence, I would never make the assumption that that's exactly what that group is. I wouldn't, I would not, you know, con- I would not make that, I wouldn't conflate the two. But with a church, it's done all the time. And not every church is hateful and has been guilty of that hypocrisy. Sure, not everyone, no. Yeah. And so I'd like people to give that a chance. But and it,
1: it kind of I know for me that if I'm in a church congregation and I'm looking around and I'm seeing how that church is defining themselves mm-hmm. out in public or, you know, are they hurtful? You know, you have to ask yourself what what are they doing? Do, does that fit in line with how I feel or how I should be feeling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You
0: no. Know, makes you reevaluate things. Yes, it does. Again, it comes back to motive. Like, what are you mm-hmm. going to church for? And that is including the church people, not just those who are seeking. But, uh, th- but thank you very much. It's a good reminder. And these are one of the things that I love having you in our congregation. You push, you continue to push, you ask questions. And I'm, I'm asking you to continue in that because you are going to help change lives. God's going to use you to help change lives. It's long is you continue to allow God to have the control, which you have done ever since that, from that moment, from your testimony. So thank you, pal. You're welcome. I really appreciate your time tonight. And like I said, the beautiful things I get to see on Sunday. (laughs) So the rest of these people don't. But uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point in the future. Maybe another topic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, you're welcome. Thank you once again to Nathan and his time that we had together. What an amazing thing, right? I hope that you found that edifying. And if you were made uncomfortable, once again, I think that's a good thing. But even so, I appreciate it if you made it all the way to the end. Uh, Prayers are with you. Prayers are with everyone who is fighting this battle that's out there. And maybe, once again, we can gain a greater glimpse into the kingdom and seeing people for who they are, not what society labels them to be. So, if you like what you heard tonight and would like to hear more content like it, I would encourage you to leave a review or like or subscribe, download, however you connect with podcasts. I encourage you to do that. And if you'd like to email the show ever, it is wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, and may God bless you.